Thanks for joining us for another inspiring message from Elevate Church in Perth, Australia. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app, available wherever you download your apps. Series, Things Jesus Never Said. I came across this uh, great quote by Abraham Lincoln this week, uh, trolling the internet, and uh, the quote is, uh, the problem with quotes found on the internet is that they are often not true. Uh, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, everybody. <laughs> this is the opening uh, text for the Bible plan that is married to this series. The Things Jesus Never Said Bible Plan opens with this line. Grab my attention, Bible plan. It's a six with you. Um, and in fact, encourage you to join us going through this Bible plan. It's a six-day uh, uh, reading plan. Uh, I, I did it this week, a couple of our team as well. And what I would encourage you to do is, and you can grab it from the Bible app, just Bible app in your app store. Um, and it's a six-day plan. And I would encourage you to, to, to do it each week uh, and switch up the version of the Bible that you read it from. So maybe the first week you might read it from the Message uh, Bible. The next week you might switch to the New International Version, whatever, whatever it is. And just allow the, the nuances of the different translations, just to allow uh, God to speak to you through them and over these next three weeks of this series, Things Jesus Never Said. The stuff that Jesus actually said is recorded by four dudes, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, they wrote accounts of Jesus' life and miracles and his teachings, the things that he, he said. And in some versions of the Bible, the stuff that Jesus actually said is in red letters. So it's kind of obvious. This is the stuff that Jesus actually said, the red uh, letter stuff. And I want to drop us into this morning into some of the red letter stuff that Jesus actually said. But the reason that we... What, the big idea behind this series is that in the coffee shops that you and I might meet up in, uh, on the social media, internet, that memes pop up or words of encouragement come around, in the, in the chats around the photocopier, all those sorts of things, there's a lot of stuff that appears on the surface to be Jesus-y, that appears to be spiritual-ish. And the problem with that is if it isn't Jesus' stuff, if it isn't actually the stuff that God said and the principles that God set in motions, then it actually doesn't come gift-wrapped with the promises. It actually doesn't come gift-wrapped with the stuff. The stuff that God says, God backs. The stuff that God didn't say doesn't mean it's all untrue. As I like to say, the Bible is all true, but not all truth is in the Bible. And before that messes with your head too much, think about this. If you're going in for open heart surgery, you're going to want to know that the surgeon has read more than just the Bible to teach him what he's going to do. The Bible is all true, but not all truth is in the Bible. However, the spiritualish stuff, the Jesus-y kind of stuff that we kind of like bet the farm on, we need to make sure it really is the stuff that Jesus said. And the thing about this series is 
People who are followers of Jesus should actually look at the world differently. We should actually have a different framework for thinking, a different perspective for seeing, and that thinking and that perspective should actually translate into us acting quite differently and actually better, not better in an elitist way, but better in a sense that the stuff that God teaches us, the stuff that God points us towards, the stuff that God directs us is actually better. And if we approach our life with his perspective and have that worldview, then we're actually going to be more likely to experience the better that God promises. So let's take a dive this morning into some of the words in red, some of the stuff that Jesus said. If you've got our app, you can tap the Bible title. It's going to take you to something that John, the fourth of the guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John recorded this stuff. Matthew, Mark, they're kind of, the, 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 tell you like the blow-by-blow blow stuff. Luke, Luke's a doctor. He kind of went back after Jesus had died and, and interviewed eyewitnesses. John, John's like, John lives in South Fremantle. John has purple overalls. He bakes his own sourdough bread. And you'll find him on a Saturday morning at the farmer's market. John... He's like, he's a poet. He's like, so let's, let's, get it, let's get in with John, shall we? And this story that Jesus told, I actually taught uh, in our series at the beginning of this year, Road Trip with Jesus, in a message that I taught, Road to a Second Chance. And I encourage you to go back and listen to that. And actually what that demonstrates is there's so much of what Jesus taught that we can actually just keep unpacking. It's not like you read it one and done. I learned the thing, the thing to learn. It's actually, no, there's a lot of stuff that we can learn from the stuff that Jesus said. So here we go. John recorded Jesus as having taught this. Jesus went across to Mount Olives, but he was soon back in the temple again. So temple, like the Jewish temple, a bit like, you know, we would sort of the church building today. Swarms of people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Very much like we're doing today. The religion scholars and the Pharisees led in a woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery. And they stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses, in the law, gives orders to stone, not uh, for medicinal purposes, such persons. What do you say? Now, I'm not going to get into the awkwardness of this scenario, though, of course, for I think just about everyone there, this would have been super awkward. Uh, not least of which for the woman that, that was there. She was caught in the act of adultery. She didn't have time necessarily to fix her makeup and do her hair before they got dragged into the temple. Super awkward. Uh, but the big idea at this moment in time is that these re- religious leaders thought they had Jesus cornered. They thought they had him in a no-win situation because the law of Moses said that she's meant, you know, people caught in the act of adultery... If you don't know what adultery is, it's sleeping with people you're not married to. That's the big idea. No, no, not sleeping with. Having the dance with no pants with people that you're not married to. Sleeping with is almost fine. Um, So Moses said those people need to be killed. Capital punishment. What do you say, Jesus? Well, if he says, yeah, yeah, uh, let's kill her. Well, he's just been become known for teaching on forgiveness and, and grace. And so he's actually going to go against that. Or if he says, well, no, let's not kill her. Well, then he's actually seemingly going against what God taught. And so they thought they had him in a no-win situation. And they were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so they could bring charges against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. 
And they kept at him, badgering him. And he straightened up and said, the sinless one among you, go first. Throw the stone. And bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. And hearing that, they walked away one after another, beginning with the oldest. The woman was left alone, and Jesus stood up and spoke to her. Woman, where are they? Does anyone, does no one condemn you? And she obviously looked around. No one, master. Well, Jesus said, neither do I. So go in your way. From now on, don't sin. Now, here's what Jesus didn't say. From now on, go do whatever makes you happy. Because she'd already been doing, presumably, what was making her happy. And it wasn't working for her. And he didn't say now that they've left you and you kind of survived a near-death experience. Go and do whatever makes you happy. And yet... That kind of advice, I'm pretty sure. How many of you have heard that kind of advice? Words that affect good. Go and do whatever makes you happy. It's kind of become the norm in large pockets of our culture. And yet it's not necessarily God's best for us. If you, in fact, if you just want to play out a few kind of plausible scenarios about this spiritual-ish advice, go do whatever makes you happy. Here's, here's what that might look like. You've, you've made a commitment to go and help someone. You know, early in the week, someone said on the Saturday they need help moving house. And Tuesday, you said, yeah, yeah, I'll be there. I'll come. I'll help you on. And Saturday morning, you wake up and they're all ready and they've got the boxes packed and you've got the van. And, and, and then Saturday morning, you wake up and you go, yeah, you know what? Just not feeling it today. And so you decide that, you know what? That I'm going to do what makes me happy. It's going to be Netflix, binge-watching on the couch, and my friend, well, screw him. That's, that's plausible if this is a principle that you live your life by. Here's one that's plausible. You're uh, in your office or in your work scenario, there's that girl that you've been scheduled a lot with. You're married and she isn't. and You know, you just kind of get to know each other and she laughs at all your jokes and... Uh, over a little bit of time, you start to think to yourself, she really gets me. And uh, you just kind of keep pursuing that. And she's not married, so you know she's supposedly low-hanging fruit in this scenario. And then one day, the opportunity presents itself, and you end up having sexual relations with that girl because it makes you happy. Or there's this one. Parents, your kids are driving you crazy, and you think to yourself, I'm just going to kill them. And you do, because in that moment, you think, that's what's going to make me happy. This is terrible advice. <laughs> the problem with this and, and playing it out in those reasonably plausible, hopefully maybe not kill your kids one, but reasonably plausible scenarios is that we've mashed up happiness with selfishness. That the, the pathway to happiness is all about me doing what I want to do, not doing what I don't want to do. Putting myself at the front of the queue, making sure I'm with mashed up happiness with selfishness. So here's my million dollar question. Has God actually greenlit happiness? Now, I'll give you the short answer. 
The opposite would be to say, God, if he hasn't greenlit happiness, then you say, well, God's best for us is for us to be miserable. And, and no, that's not in play here either. So let me just bust a couple of myths. <clears throat> One myth that kind of pushes back on happiness as, as being something God wants for us is, is to try and slice and dice the difference between happiness and joy. Now, I have taught this. You can go back, and please don't. You can go back, listen to podcasts at my last church at Riverview, where I have taught there about God wants us to pursue joy, but not happiness. And I've given some, well, no, don't go back and listen to them. But it was terrible. But the idea that I taught back then was uh, happiness is based on happenings. And because it's based on happenings, it's kind of like riding a roller coaster. One minute you're up and one next minute you're down. It's kind of like you're on shifting sand. And when your circumstances are good, you're happy. And when your circumstances shift and they're bad, you're sad. And so instead of building your house on shifting sand, build your house on joy because joy, joy transcends circumstances. Joy is better. Joy is immovable. That's what I taught. Sounds good, right? Sounds spiritual-ish. But I, but I now know that I don't think God has those two things, happiness and joy, at such polar opposites. That there's, so, that there's such a large chasm that we even have to even bother slicing and dicing them. So in fact, now I would talk about joy. I would talk about happiness. I would talk about contentment. I would talk about being blessed. I'd kind of just use them interchangeably now because they all point to God's best for his children. So I think God has greenlit happiness. However, the pathway to happiness might not look like we think. Imagine you're walking along the beach one day, walking along, and you see this fish on the sand. And the fish is still alive. It's on the sand, and it's flapping around on the sand, still alive, flapping around in the sand. And you think to yourself, ah, poor fish. It's on the sand. I know what I'll do. I'll give it some money. So you throw 50 bucks down, and you think, well, that ought to do it. I mean, who wouldn't want 50 bucks? And the fish... This doesn't change. Just keeps flapping around on the sand, 50 bucks next to it. Not even registering that 50 bucks there. You think I know what I'll do? I will gift, I will share my Netflix login with the fish so that this fish can watch Finding Nemo. And so you 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 sign up on, on the Netflix app and you share the login and and the fish, nothing changes. And the fish still flopping around. I, I know what I'll do. I'll pop up to the newsagent and I'll buy it a copy of Playfish magazine. And you put Playfish magazine down there and you think, that, that fish is going to love this. Oh, look at the set of gills on that one. Shoot. And the reason this metaphor is so absurd and I don't even need to explain that it's absurd. It's absurd. It's absurd because you and I both know that fish are not meant to be out here. A fish's natural habitat, a fish's natural environment, a fish was created to be in the water. 
And no matter what we do to the fish when it's out of the water, no matter what stimulation we give it, no matter what entertainment we provide it, no matter what external stimuli we give to that fish, that fish is not going to be happy unless that fish is in its correct environment and experiencing happiness in its correct environment. And that goes for us too. We are not made for this world. This world is not our home. Heaven is our home. And while some of those things, Netflix is fine, most of it. Um, the new What If series is a bit questionable. But anyway, you can talk to Louie about that. We disagree. Uh, Playfish magazine, no one needs to read that. Um, but, you know, having 50 bucks is great. But here's the thing. If we make them the source of our happiness... If we make the things of this earth the source of our happiness, then we're going to be left empty and disappointed. We're going to be like the fish out of water and wondering why happiness seems to be a futile pursuit that we can never actually grab a hold of. Now, (laughs) it's because the things of this world aren't going to be the main things that make us happy that some churches throughout history, have kind of created a band list. Band, not like music band, B-A-N-N-E-D, like a no deal, don't do this list, because we don't want to even go near the things of this world, because they'll corrupt us. So you might find some churches that have banned uh, going to the movies. Can't go to the movies. It's the things of this world. Um, Banned non-Christian music. So you can have Spotify, but only have worship songs playing. There's some churches that have even banned dancing, that you're not allowed to dance. Because if you dance, you know. And, uh, and, and so now, having said that, thankfully, some churches, though, whilst they've more or less banned, or they certainly strongly discourage dancing, uh, if you feel like you must, if you feel like you just can't help yourself, if those hips just drive themselves, then, then thankfully, thankfully, uh, there's a church that's put up some uh, guidelines uh, w- for when you dance. Leaving room for the Holy Spirit when you dance. Uh, make sure it's Christian rock music. When in doubt, stay at least one Bible length away. And that's not the Bible app. That's the old big Bible. And then, well, well insert Holy Spirit here. I, 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 I actually have no words for that, but... Uh, those of you listening on the podcast, I, I strongly encourage you to uh, go onto our app and have a look at the slide deck of this because there's a slide on there that you just can't unsee. <laughs> and you'll thank me later. But here's the big idea. Happiness is not the opposite of holiness. Okay? So God has greenlit happiness. Though the things of this world, if we put them as being the pathway, the source, the, the, the ticket to getting happiness, we're going to be left disappointed. And then having said that, we don't have to be afraid of the things that will point us towards happiness because they're not the opposite of holiness. So here's the big question for this morning. What is happiness and how do we attain it? Now, one of my favorite authors is an author, Max Licato. He leads a church. Uh, he's been on, fix, he's been on uh, Chip and Joe Gaines' Fixer Upper, uh, which, I don't know, 
which one he considers his greater claim to fame. Uh, he's written about, I don't know, like 7,000 books or something. He's just like, it's ridiculous how many books he's read. But this is a, and this is a book he's soon to release. I think it comes out next month. You can pre-order it on Amazon. How happiness happens. And so having unpacked a little bit of this, what may or may not make us happy and whether we should or shouldn't move towards happiness, Locato says this, there is another option. It requires no credit card, monthly mortgage, or stroke of fortune. Age and ethnicity aren't factors. An unexpected door to joy exists. Happiness, according to Jesus, is what happens when I give it away. Jesus said it's much better to give than to receive. So the simple truth of the matter is that happiness happens when I make other people happy. Now, we went over time last week. I blame Lauren, our guest speaker. I certainly had no part to play in that. The trap door got stuck. We couldn't kind of just eject her down after 30 minutes. Got to work on that, uh, Jared. So let's just finish a little bit early this morning. Sad sigh of disappointment resonates across the auditorium. Uh, sorry, sorry. Trust me, I won't make a habit of it. Let's finish up with story time with Max. And I want to read a slice of Max's forthcoming book, How Happiness Happens. Contrast the situation of Mo and Joe. Mo expects everyone to serve him. The moment he awakens, he thinks, is somebody going to bring me coffee? He leaves the house thinking, the traffic better be good. If the service of the convenience store attendant is slow, Mo is mad. If the parking lot attendant forgets Mo's name, Mo grumbles. If the employees at work need more time than Mo wants to give them, Mo lets them know. Mo has high expectations of the world. He expects to be served. He expects people to cater to his plans, meet his needs, and reward him. Consequently, Mo is seldom happy. The service is too slow. The commute takes too long. And the employees don't remember his name quickly enough. Mo, miserable Mo. Joe, on the other hand, measures the success of his day with this standard. Who can I help today? Since there are always people who need help, Joe is insanely successful. He serves his wife her morning coffee. Yeah, come on. I'm guilty of that crime. He serves the convenience store clerk with a smile. He serves the parking lot attendant with encouragement. He keeps a positive attitude at work. Bad weather, snarly traffic, no problem. The world doesn't exist to take care of him. He exists to take care of others. Circumstances do not affect him. Joe goes to bed with a smile on his face. Mo is unhappy and makes people frown. Joe is happy and makes people smile. Which one of you? Which one are you? Mo, Joe, or a little of both? Mojo. I didn't write this, okay? Maybe it's time. To look at life differently. Make your happiness dependent upon how others serve you and you will always be disappointed. Find happiness in serving 
others and well, you can complete the sentence. Very simple, very obvious when you see it. But again, this is through the lens of what Jesus actually said. It's in red. Actually, it's not in the Gospels if you want to be super nerdy, Bible nerdy. It's in the the next book, the Acts of the Apostles. There's one red slice where they quote Jesus in his lifetime as having said, it's much better to give than to receive. And that principle, which is so upside down in the culture that we live in, is actually what Jesus said about how we experience happiness. It's a privilege to play our part in all that God is doing in and through you. To find out what your next step could be or to partner with us to reach more and more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and download our Elevate Church AU app, available wherever you download your apps.